0: Vaccines are one of our greatest public health successes, yet the nation's vaccine financing and delivery system is failing. For instance, the number of new vaccines advised for our young patients has nearly doubled in the last five years, just as the cost to fully immunize a child has increased substantially. Is our system broken beyond repair, or is relief in sight? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Jay Berkelhammer, Senior Vice President and Chief Academic Officer at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at Emory University School of Medicine, and Past President of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Welcome, Dr. Berkelhammer.
1: Thank you pleasure.
0: Vaccines prevent contagious diseases not only in the individual, but in communities as a whole. In this way, they differ from other medical treatments, but the financing and delivery system is also very unique. Can you give us a broad overview of the current system for financing vaccines? And let's start with the public sector
1: first. Well, it it really is a, a patchwork, Jennifer, and the federal government funds vaccines in two ways. There's the Vaccines for Children program, which covers about 40% of all the immunizations that are given in our country, and those dollars are given to the states to use through the Vaccine for Children's program. It's an entitlement program, links closely to the Medicaid program and other children living in disadvantaged circumstances. The states have some flexibility on defining those eligible patients. Also, there is what's called the 317 program, which is a block grant program to the states, and that covers about 8% of the vaccines, and the states have quite a bit of discretion as to how to use those dollars to promote immunization, but then the remaining dollars come from the private sector, and generally through third-party reimbursements from insurance. Many insurance plans now cover all the routine children's vaccines. However, there are still some payments out of pocket, and not all vaccines are covered in all states by all plans. So I would expect somewhere in the 5-10% range of the dollars are actually coming out of patients' pockets and real-time payments.
0: Now, you mentioned that the federal government does provide funding for the vaccines. Are are the states expected to also provide some financing? And if so, what's the percentage or proportion?
1: The states kick in roughly maybe between 5 and 10% it varies some from state to state some states are able to mobilize more funds than others so if you if you really tried to make it into a a complete 100% pie chart i would say it's about 45% private maybe 8% 317 funds 40% vaccine for children 7% from the states and then a few percentage points from the patients out-of-pockets.
0: let's talk a little bit more about the underinsured patients. What about the children who do have health insurance, but maybe it doesn't cover preventive services such as vaccines, or if the patient has a high deductible and chooses not to use that deductible to get vaccines?
1: Yeah, oftentimes those patients will qualify for the vaccine for children's program. The problem there is there's a lot of variability from state to state as to how this gets organized. And if the physician does not have the vaccine in their office through the Vaccine for Children's Program, it has to be designated that way, the families may have to go to a public health department clinic in order to get the vaccines without out-of-pocket cost. Otherwise, they would have to pay the physician. You know, about 80% of all the administration of vaccines in the country is done in doctors' offices, and only about 20% are done in public clinics. But it is a problem that can be much worse in some states than others. There are a few states that have really put the Vaccine for Children's program into kind of a 100% mode where all the vaccines are given to the doctors in their office. There are only a few states that do that but there are other states where patients are put at extreme disadvantage and convenience to make sure their children get their vaccines.
0: And when you say that 80% of kids get their vaccines in the medical home, does that mean also that 80% of children have a medical home?
1: No, I I said 80% of the administrations. And there are unimmunized children, you know, and immunization Mm -hmm. rates vary widely across the country. In some states, it's In the high 70s, early 80% of children who are immunized. In other states, it's approaching 90%. Overall, we're doing much better with the percentage of children who are immunized, but there's still a significant number of children who are unimmunized. And today, with all the concerns that parents have about the safety of the vaccines, we're seeing increasing numbers of parents who choose to delay or to not immunize their children.
0: Now let's talk a little bit about those parents' concerns. Many parents, as you mentioned, are either refusing vaccines completely or they're delaying some or splitting the vaccines. Does that have any effect on the vaccine financing process and what physicians can expect in their own offices?
1: Well, physicians get both compensation for the purchase of the vaccine and for the administration of the vaccine. The administration fees are very low, and in some states they may be as low as $5, $8, but it may take 15 minutes of a physician's time to sit and explain the value of the immunization, and what we're finding is that the amount of time and effort it takes to work with the families has increased dramatically, and particularly in the last year or two, physicians more and more around the country are finding That it is a very difficult thing to be able to make economic sense out of. Very few physicians are able to administer vaccines in their office and be able to manage the finances of this to something that makes sense.
0: Now, even if the administration fees were reimbursed at an adequate level, could a physician then use a CPT code for the additional counseling that would be provided to a family?
1: There are codes and. There are potential reimbursements, but I can tell you that these things are spotty in terms of whether they're accepted, and many physicians are not aware of all the codes that can be used. There is a real sort of administrative aspect to all this, which is complicated and cumbersome, which makes it very difficult for many physicians in their office.
0: Now, you had also mentioned the administration fee. Does the Vaccines for Children program cover the administration fee as well as the vaccine cost?
1: State set the amount to be paid, however, and the amount that the state sets often is much below what the true costs are of the administration. And this varies, again, widely from state to state.
0: Getting back to the private sector, administration fees have been quoted as being anywhere from 17 to 28% on top of the cost of the vaccine itself. Are there certain standards for a, a minimum or maximum payment that is considered acceptable from a um, managed care company?
1: Well, you know, the administration of a less expensive vaccine certainly is not more expensive than a more expensive vaccine. So, you know, the administration fee percentage, as you pointed out, can vary quite a bit as a percentage of the cost of the vaccine. But a rough rule of thumb is that overall the immunizations, about 20% of the actual expense in administering vaccines is related to the actual process in the Office of working with the families and providing the vaccine and administering the vaccine. The cost of the vaccine would be about 80%.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment focused on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM 157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Jay Burklehammer, past president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We're discussing vaccine financing and delivery. Now, one thing that is unique, it seems to me, about the entire vaccine financing and delivery system is that physicians need to float the money several months in advance of when they might expect to get reimbursed for it. So they're often paying several hundreds of thousands of dollars to the vaccine manufacturers before the insurers pay them three to four months later. Can you think of any other industry or profession where an individual is expected to provide so much money up front?
1: Well, it is... True, they're expensive, and many physicians do have problems with managing their inventory. The vaccines sometimes are not readily available. There are sometimes production problems, and vaccines need to be kept in storage in the office, and so it becomes a big issue. Now, sure, there are all kinds of arrangements that could be made short of the physician actually purchasing the vaccine. One might be that the companies themselves that produce the vaccine would put the vaccine in the physician's office for the physician to administer, and then they would be reimbursed as the vaccines are used, rather than having the physician buy all this up front. It's become extraordinarily expensive with the um, HPV vaccine, and there are many physicians who have, as you pointed out, hundreds of thousands of dollars of stock in their office.
0: Now let's talk about some specific situations, such as the recent expansion of influenza vaccine to include all children over six months of age. How has that affected the way physicians finance it and get their vaccines?
1: Well physicians are concerned that there will be adequate supply. And one of the things that we've seen happen is that the expectation is, if it's universally recommended, that physicians will provide this to all their patients and try as they may, they may not have an adequate supply coming through their office in order to be able to do this. Also, it does, again, create the inventory issue of how you maintain a biological that is perishable in your office safely and be able to have adequate numbers for your patients.
0: Now, with the onset or with the availability of newer combination vaccines, such as Pentacel or Kinrix, how has that affected vaccine financing for physicians?
1: Well, you know the combination vaccines are wonderful advances that allow children to have fewer injections and certainly although the the vaccines themselves become more expensive each individually as a dose but in terms of the efficiency of the program it vastly improves the efficiency of the program unfortunately what we're seeing is that many parents are concerned about the safety of the vaccine and many people are concerned about the combination of several different immunizations together and whether the additive effect is more likely to cause some sort of reaction in their child. Of course, there's no evidence for any of this stuff, but it has certainly increased the amount of time and concern That the physician has to spend working with the family.
0: But is there also then the loss of administration fees since you might be only giving one injection instead of three?
1: Yes, but I don't think that's a big problem, Jennifer, because I think that the physicians are not trying to make money on immunizations. And if they're spending less time and they're giving fewer shots to get the same result, I think most physicians would say to you, that's a good thing. You know, and and I would say that the physicians that I know, are looking at how can they do a better job more effectively. Immunizations have never been looked at as a profit center in a doctor's office. They are really a service to the patients to try and assure that the kids are given the vaccines that we know are going to help them in terms of not catching these preventable diseases.
0: Along with pediatricians, family physicians, internists, and OBGYNs are also giving vaccines. Is the AAP working with any of these other organizations to to try to improve the system as a whole?
1: Absolutely. And we have worked with our physician colleagues, with industry, with government to develop a national vaccine advisory committee, which will help try to promote good policies on supply and reimbursement and rationalizing the system. And we understand that this is something where all parties concerned need to collaborate and cooperate in order for us to do a more effective job.
0: I've been seeing recent reports that assess the cost benefit ratios and the cost effectiveness of certain vaccines. Do you find that that kind of data has influenced whether physicians choose to give certain vaccines or whether insurers will reimburse for them?
1: Well, I mean, we know that for every dollar we spend on immunization, there's as much as $30 savings in terms of the health consequences of the diseases that are being prevented, and this is a best buy that even with the very dramatic increase in cost of vaccines and by the way, if you add up the cost of all the childhood vaccines that a child should get even at the government purchase price, which is a lower price than the private purchase price it's over a thousand dollars for each child and it's approaching. $2,000 in the private sector. So vaccines which at one time just a few years ago were a relatively small expense have become an increasingly larger expense. However, the as you pointed out at the beginning of our discussion, the numbers of diseases that we prevent and we routinely now immunize for 16 different diseases are tremendous and the health consequences of this for the health system are really terrific and the payback, uh, as I mentioned, is about a 30-fold payback to the expense involved.
0: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Berkelhammer. We've been discussing vaccine financing and delivery. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Healthcare Policy, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157, and thank you for listening.